0: Welcome to Preaching and Preachers, a weekly podcast devoted to those who preach and to the task of preaching itself. I'm your host, Jason Allen, president of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Today I want to welcome Matt Smethers to the podcast. Matt serves as the managing editor of the Gospel Coalition and is an accomplished author. He recently published a new book, Deacons, How They Serve and Strengthen the Church, out with Nine Marks and Crossway in their Building Healthy Churches series. Matt, welcome to Preaching and Preachers.
1: Thanks for having me, Jason.
0: Yeah, look, it's good to get to record with you today on this topic of deacons. And uh, just to catch up for a moment before the podcast started and then in the context of the podcast, uh, before we get to the topic today, which is deacons and their essential ministry in the church, um, before we get to that, for a word of update, and you guys are in the middle of a big transition, and now our, our friends, our listeners would enjoy hearing a touch about that, and as well as a word of update on your your family.
1: Yeah, well, I'll start with the family. Um, I have one wife and three kids. Uh, Megan and I have been married for a little over twelve years, and we have three youngish kids nine, seven, and four. And we've been in Louisville, Kentucky, for most of our marriage, and, and certainly for all of our kids' lives. Um, a big transition, though, for us is afoot. We are uh, in the process of moving to Richmond, Virginia, uh, to plant a church, River City Baptist Church. Uh, Megan and I are both from Virginia, and so in some ways this feels like a return home. It's something I've been considering uh, pastoring in Richmond, in particular, for several years now, and so it's exciting to see things starting to come together. Although the the church will the the plan is to move there this summer, have some core team meetings fall and w- through the fall and winter, and then officially constitute um, early 2022.
0: Good for you. We're excited for you and. From a couple of conversations we've had over the years, I felt like your trajectory was towards local church ministry and uh, and service, and uh, I knew something of the geographical heart there as well as where you guys perhaps thought you'd want to be. And so, I'm just delighted for you to see you getting to uh, enjoy this new opportunity, and uh, delighted for you that uh, God has opened this door. So, we're talking today about deacons and their essential ministry in the church. And I'll tell you on the front end, literally yesterday, Matt, I was having a conversation with a a very devoted layman who loves his church and loves his pastor and loves the ministry of the church and very devoted to the ministry of the church and just one of these kind of first-class Christian laymen. And that conversation, a part of it, he was walking me through a couple of rowdy deacons meetings he'd been in in the past year. And uh, fundamentally, it went over kind of a, a, a little issue in the church having to work through and uh, nothing immoral, but just one of these kind of organizational matters they're having to work through. And uh, and there were a few, not many, but a few deacons who felt like like they should have been a part of the decision-making process and they were kind of harkening back to an era in that church from previous decades when the deacons would have been more involved in that type of decision making process and and kind of were aggrieved that they were not so involved as the church was working through this particular organizational matter now you don't have to go too far uh, and i'm sure that you, that you have encountered many you don't have to go too far to hear of stories like that where some group of deacons, some body of deacons are, are overacting and acting beyond kind of the biblical expectation of what deacons do. And so there has been something of a, of a corrective, I think, in recent decades towards that. But at the same time, uh, as that corrective has been, you're not a legislative body. Uh, you're, you're not there to ratify what the pastor wants to do. You know, you're, you're not, you're not um, some sort of a leadership team in the sense of, of policy setting and decision making. But oftentimes there's been a, a sense of of okay, you're not that. So a little bit of a vacuum or failure to understand exactly what the deacon is, what the office is about, what they are to do, and and also a failure to to truly appreciate both how healthy a church will be and can be when deacons are functioning in their biblical role. So I hope today not to just spend twenty minutes beating up on you know deacons who are who are acting beyond the role God has given them, but but. Instead, to uh, to talk with you as your book lays out, uh, how honoring this role is, and how necessary this role is, and how that we should celebrate such individuals who God sets apart and who churches affirm as deacons in the local church. So, with that little bit of autobiographical prologue, let me ask you, like, what prompted you to write this book on deacons?
1: Well, it was com- combination of things. I mean, honestly, it was. Kind of pitched to me, uh, Jonathan Lehman at Nine Marks and Justin Taylor at Crossway had asked me uh, over the course of a couple of years if I'd be interested in writing it. Interestingly, it's the most searched for term on the Nine Marks website every year. Deacons and Crossway also uh, told me that it's it's one of their most requested books that doesn't yet exist. So I, I knew it needed to be written. Uh, I was honored that they that they thought I could do it. And um, yeah, I agreed to, and and just kind of did a really deep dive into the subject. I had served in two uh, diaconal roles uh, in, in my church here in Louisville. So I had a little bit of on the ground experience, both from the, the deacon side and from the elder side. And uh, yeah, I'm just hopeful that this is a contribution that can can both serve pastors who are trying to rethink and redeploy deacons in their church, but also be something that that a pastor could hand to an ordinary deacon and say, Here's your biblical job description.
0: So I know you wrote the book exegetically first and foremost, uh, but experientially again, there's a need there, and the fact that the uh, the attention on the Nine Marks website and the questions coming in clearly indicates something of that need. I, I guess for you, um, as you as you survey the landscape, as you receive these questions and have these conversations over the years, and perhaps even helping to shape the book some. Like what What do you see as the common misunderstandings or the common you know, diaconal malpractices that are out there? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, well, in one sense, I think you can kind of boil it down to, to two errors on in either side. So I think some churches wrongly elevate the role of deacon to, to that of de facto elders, as, as you were alluding to earlier. I think other churches wrongly reduce the role of deacon to to that of glorified janitors, um, and I think that many you know there are many variations of of those two errors, but often I think the the office is either um, unduly elevated or reduced. And so I'm wanting to kind of, yeah, clear away some of the confusion and recapture the Bible's high vision for the office. And to specifically answer your, your, your question there, Jason, some of, some of the, I think the common ways that churches get deacons wrong, even if they have the best of intentions, is um, you know, that, that one would be that, that a deacon is just an elder in training, or a pastor in training, where the, the diaconate becomes mere training wheels for the office of elder. Uh, Another, I think, misconception would be that a deacon is a mere handyman, you know, someone who has a sizable tool chest, knows his way around Home Depot. That can be a helpful asset, but that does not qualify one to serve as a deacon. Uh, You know, a spreadsheet wizard, a savvy business person. Uh, These are some of the common conceptions of deacons that I think fall short of the Bible's view of the office and then the the one that uh, well the one that will make pastors listening to this cringe is is probably the guy who thinks it's his job to keep the pastor humble um, or just the deacon who's functioning in that kind of pseudo elder role
0: yeah and boy hearing you say it's the deacon's job to keep the pastor humble you know many of our listeners are, are local church ministers and local church pastors and I'm sure that's in a shiver down many a spines because so many have experienced those, especially in churches that have historically been uh, obviously in churches that have historically been you know, deacon led. So let's sharpen the conversation a little bit. What, biblically speaking, is a deacon?
1: I think deacons are formal assistants to the elders. Now I understand that not everyone listening to this will will be in a church that that's led by a plurality of elders. So for you, that 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 may look like, uh, assistance to the staff pastors, um, but yeah, uh, assistance to the elders who who carry that out in kind of three main ways, uh, spotting and meeting tangible needs, protecting and promoting church unity, and and serving and supporting the ministry of the word. Now, there's a lot of room for flexibility and application under that rubric, but I think that gets at the heart of what the uh, the deaconal ministry is meant to be as a, as an office that is indispensable in the life of the church and yet is subordinate to uh, the office
0: of elder. Now, your first chapter is entitled "The Backstory and the Blunders: How Deacons Have Functioned." Give us a little bit of a of a broad overview of the role of deacons and how they function throughout church history.
1: Yeah, so in the early Centuries, uh, it, deacons were were vital to the life of the church and were primarily tasked with discharging uh, mercy ministry and uh, caring for for the the poor, the afflicted, the distressed. But as the uh, what's what's called the monarchical episcopate developed, as the, essentially as as the the church expanded geographically and as various heresies were popping up. Authority was centralized in the office of the bishop, and along with that came, um, I think, a, a, a misunderstanding of the office of deacon. Deacons ceased to be, um, uh, you know, mercy ministers and started to function more in just kind of a secretarial capacity. And in the Middle Ages, it got even worse because uh, deacons were were viewed as a. Um, a a help in getting uh, time reduced in purgatory because deacons were often in charge of charitable giving and 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 the rest and all the rest. And so um, th- they were viewed as uh, ones in the church who could kind of help you gain entrance into eternal life. And so by the time of John Calvin, who um, of all the reformers was the one who most emphasized deacons and kind of helped to to recapture some of the Bible's vision for the office, the diaconate was in need for, for a reformation.
0: So, in as much as you're as you're comfortable and uh, in a position to, can, can you speak to the migration, especially in, in in the Baptistic context, but but perhaps in some in some senses uh, even beyond in the evangelical context, that really occurred in the late nineteenth century and early twentieth century as this migration away from elders uh, to deacons as exercising leadership and. Uh, and really, the, the 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 whole office of the elder, elder, especially plurality of elders, fading away. Of course, there's been a, a real recovery of that in recent decades. But we, we had a 50-, 75-year era or so where deacons were really the average evangelical church, especially the average Southern Baptist church. You know, The deacons were there with the pastor, leading, functioning, governing the church.
1: Yeah, so for Southern Baptist listeners, I, I have a couple of lengthy footnotes uh, in the first chapter where I, I engage in some insider baseball, and essentially I look at the primary literature on deacons throughout Southern Baptist history, and I attempt to actually show that the way deacons often function in churches today um, was not commended by some of those authors— in uh, fact, that, that that many, many of, the, of, of these guys over the years, Robert Naylor, Howard Foshee, um, Henry Webb, they, they've actually been sounding a lot of the same notes as I have in terms of warning against the executive board, um, board uh, board of directors kind of model. But I think, Jason, part of what's going on in, in this migration that, that you refer to is that when you don't. Uh, rightly understand the office of elder, you won't understand the office of deacon. And that's one of the things I want to communicate is is that uh, when your deacons are functioning as elders, you actually miss out on both offices, because not only don't you have biblical elders, but you also don't get to have biblical deacons. And I think that um, the the misunderstanding of the diaconate is downstream from a thin view of, of the office of elder.
0: So, thinking about the Deacon, and more specifically, what a deacon should look like, uh, who should be a deacon? Who should a deacon be? we might we might ask. So answer that question for us, Matt.
1: yeah. first uh, timothy three is is the passage that that immediately comes to mind, of course, because that's where paul in in verses eight to twelve lists out the qualifications for a deacon. And interestingly, it's it's a character sketch. He's not he's not presenting a skill set. The focus is not on competence; it's on character. And I don't think that's coming out of nowhere. I think he, in in a sense, is double clicking on what uh, Luke records for us in Acts chapter six, where the um, there was a crisis brewing in the in the Jerusalem church, and the uh, Greek speaking widows were being overlooked in the daily food distribution, and so the apostles. Uh, said, "Hey, choose from among yourselves, congregation, uh, seven men who will solve this problem. Which, of course, was not a mere food problem. It it was actually a much deeper threat to the very unity of the of the church for which Christ had died. And uh, it's interesting. The apostles say the men you need to choose need to be men of good repute, full of wisdom, and full of the Holy Spirit. So I think in First Timothy three we see." Um, we see those those character marks expanded on.
0: So you, you alluded to Acts chapter six a moment ago, and and help us to understand how we should think of Acts chapter six as as a forerunner or as actually a, an early uh, early early picture of of, of the diaconate.
1: It's a great question. There's been obviously debate over that in, in church history. I think that it's best to understand the seven there in, in Acts chapter six as forerunners to deacons. Um it I think acts six is setting in motion a pattern that will become the position. And by the time you get to say Philippians 1 1, you see that it's a formal office in the local church, Paul writes, you know, to the to the saints in Philippi along with the overseers slash elders and deacons. Uh, so yeah, Acts six, I think we can we can derive a lot of principles from it. I devote a whole chapter to it. But I think we we should be slow to say that it's the formal establishment of the office.
0: So, with that, then and again, thinking about the average local church, the average evangelical church, and and deacons within it, for the pastors listening, again, the seminary students who who are trying to track with you and track with us about how this should flesh itself out Sunday to Sunday, day to day, in the local church, um, help us to understand what role deacons can play in actually seeing a, a healthier church emerge?
1: So one thing that's, I think, important to to clarify is that the Bible actually doesn't say a lot about deacons. And I think that's one reason why there's so much confusion out there, because there's just not a lot of biblical material to draw from. Uh, and And so I think we should have an extra dose of humility and generosity toward those who might do deacons a little differently than than our church does um, again, because because the the Bible doesn't give us um, uh, a lot of instructions about how it should play itself out. But I do think it gives us clear boundaries. And within those boundaries, I think there are a few different ways that churches can faithfully practice deacons. I think that that the classic model of of mercy ministers is valid. I would just want to say that, De- while uh, deaconing is not less than mercy ministry, it should not be limited to mercy ministry. Uh, I, I think another valid model is is what I call just a team of leading servants. And, and, the, and the word team there is getting at, hey, this is a body. It's a deliberative body that meets together. I think this is probably the majority. Um, I think the majority of, of Baptist churches, for instance, would have a deacon board where all, everyone meets together, uh, and I think that can work fine as long as the deacons understand that they are reporting to the elders. And it's not that there are these separate but equal spheres of authority, where elders are in charge of everything that's spiritual in the church, and deacons are in charge of everything that's physical. And it's kind of a you know stay in your lane type thing. Well, well, no, as as it's been said said before, if the elders uh, if the elders say we're we're going to pittsburgh it's not the deacon's job to say no we we should go to philadelphia instead now the deacons can say hey elders we don't think our engine will get us to pittsburgh we would encourage you to reconsider but it, at the end of the day the deacons are executing the oversight and the vision of the elders not the other way around um so and then, and then the last one I'll mention, Jason, and this is actually the one that I've seen practiced in my own church, and um, I, w- I would commend to listeners, even though it may not be as common in Baptist life, is what I call role-specific ministry mobilizers. So rather than having all your deacons meet together as a body, this is installing members into individual diaconates, where they become essentially a lead volunteer overseeing an area of service in the life of the church and reporting directly to the elders as, as individuals.
0: So trying to pull this together, Matt, for the pastors listening and perhaps familiar with their book or going to be familiar with your book and trying to even build upon this conversation, uh, what can they do to raise up deacons within their own congregation?
1: I think one of the most simple things pastors can do is to champion the office. It's it's very interesting to me, and I think it's it's quite beautiful, in fact, that at the end of the qualifications in 1 Timothy 3, Paul, after verse 12, where he, he technically ends the, the, the qualifications, he doesn't move on to his next section in the letter. He adds one more thing, and he says in, in 1 Timothy 3.13, for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus the reason i love that is because diaconal work is often thankless it's grunt work not you know stage work and so it's like paul goes out of his way to hold out this promise to faithful deacons that hey you're you're going to get respect and boldness what one is going to come to you horizontally from fellow church members. The, the other is going to descend to you vertically from, from God himself. And so I think a, a, a lot of what I hope pastors will take from this book is the high and noble and glorious calling that is the diaconate and that they will um, go out of their way to encourage and honor the deacons in their midst. The, the the one other thing I'll I'll say on this is that in looking for a qualified deacon, you you should certainly look for someone who meets the character qualifications of 1 Timothy 3, but that in and of itself may not be enough. And what I mean there is that you could have a godly, servant-hearted person who's just not really a safe pair of hands. They don't reply to emails, they regularly flake out on things. You, I think when you're looking for a deacon, you want to look for someone who won't be a cul-de-sac of ministry, but someone who will actually be able to mobilize others to serve and to organize um, practical service for the good of the whole.
0: That's very well put. And uh, as I have said in local church settings as well, let's not understate the importance of the individuals having just a lot of sanctified common sense mm-hmm. to where that they can fulfill their role in service to the church by by bringing those experiences and those, and those life expertise to bear within the local church in these different support functions and roles. You know, my life has been so deeply, uh, Enriched, even blessed, my pastoral ministry of the years by deacons and uh, two individuals uh, come to mind. Even this conversation, a man named Ed Carroll, uh, who's went to be the Lord now a few years ago, and another brother named Louis Turner, uh, who so faithfully served both of those in different churches as chairman of deacons for several years, a number of years while I was there. And uh, again, godly, faithful, devoted, servant-minded, gifted, convictional, um, you know, organizationally minded, as you just mentioned, able to follow through and just naturally earn the respect of other deacons and their respective church members. Matt, I want to commend your book again, uh, Deacons, How They Serve and Strengthen the Church, out by Nine Marks, uh, the Nine Marks imprint with Crossway Publishers. And uh, Matt, I hope it gets a, a far reading. Thank you for your book. Thank you, Jason. Thank you for being with us today and for listening to Preaching and Preachers. For more information, go to my website, jasonkallen.com. That's jasonkallen.com.